0: Amen if you have your Bibles tonight and you would find with me Matthew chapter 10 we started uh, that chapter last week and um and uh what a, a blessing um you know uh the uh young man standing to my left in the choir tonight and I won't embarrass him or anything like that but he was recently saved at Vacation Bible School and um I think it's a biblical concept that when someone comes to know the Lord as their Lord and Savior, that we ought to then begin to show them what it looks like to serve God and to love God and to, and to follow Him and to look over there, even though He's much better looking than me and much younger than me, it's a picture of what the church should look like. The church shouldn't just be a bunch of gray-headed old people. It shouldn't just be a bunch of young kids. It ought to be multi-what? generational and so you've seen middle-aged people you've seen those who have been blessed with more life than others you've seen younger children and and that's the way it's supposed to be but sometimes it just means that you've got to be willing to step out of your comfort zone and show the next generation what it looks like and so I want to thank you as always church for being here tonight and and I always look forward to Sunday night services and what the Lord does. And last week we started looking at how Jesus's ministry, he had t- taken from doing the miracles and doing the work to sending out his disciples in chapter 10. And if you remember anything from chapter 10, there was one statement in there that was very very important, and we're going to look at that again tonight because just like we talked about this morning, When the themes of the scripture are intertwined and you are in different places, it is probably because the Lord knows that we are thick-headed. And it takes a lot of repeating for it to sink in. And so, I'm going to pray tonight, and I want us to just jump right in. Because we looked last week at how he calls the twelve apostles together, he sends them out, and he tells them that as you go, you will be persecuted. You will be drugged before uh, royalty, you'll be drugged before the courts, and you need to know that I'll be with you. And so, I want to just get ready, and let's pray, and jump right in. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and Lord, as we looked last week about how it's time for your people to boldly proclaim your word. Lord, the good news of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, but Lord, also how, Lord, it's time for us to be faithful to the mission you have given us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be bold. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be willing to stand upon your word no matter the cost. And, Lord, that you would do great and mighty things for your glory and your glory alone. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I want to start in verse 24 tonight, and I want to show you the hope for the follower of Jesus. The hope for the follower of Jesus. And you say well the hope for the follower of Jesus is heaven. And you're absolutely right. Someday I'm going to get to sit down and rest a little while as the old song said. But until that day comes I still have hope. I don't hope and change as Barack said. I hope in something that is unchanging. I hope in someone who is unshakable and it says here in verse 24 a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master if they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? And you say, Jake, that doesn't sound very hopeful that if we are truly the follower of Jesus, persecution is going to come because a servant's not greater than his master. If you remember talking about Joseph this morning, Joseph was in second command to the prison leader. He was in second command at Potiphar's. He was at second command at the Pharaoh's palace. Why? Because he was under their authority. And you and I need to recognize something, that Jesus, when he saves you, is not only your savior, he is the Lord of your life. And what that means is, when Jesus says jump, we say how high. When Jesus says go, we say how quickly. When Jesus says pray, we should say how long. This idea that my relationship with God is negotiable, that I can bargain with him for what he wants of me and doesn't want from me, is nowhere found in the scriptures. You can either be obedient to what God commands you to do, or you can be disobedient. There is no in-between. But we have watched too many episodes of law and order or criminal cases or whatever shows on television that teach us how to argue and compromise and barter. But in your relationship with God, it is not that way. You are the servant. You are the slave. You are the follower, and he is in charge. The problem is none of us like that. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I just can't wait to be bossed around all day here at home. Just can't wait for it. Oh, I'm so excited I'm going to go to work and get told what to do for eight hours. I am so excited. No, why? Because the pride of our hearts is the same pride that Satan had. That he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be above God. He wanted to be on the throne and to be in charge. And friends, it is the greatest struggle that we have as Christians is wanting to tell God what is best for our life. God, I know what's best for my marriage. I know what's best for my finances. I know what's best for the church. And what the Lord says is, I don't need you to think. I don't need you to figure it out. I need you to trust me and do what you are told. And that just doesn't even get an amen, does it? Because we know that's not how it goes. But yet we see here that Jesus says, persecution is coming. This is going to happen, but this is the hope. And we looked at it last week. Therefore, do not fear them. And we talked about the specifics here. He is telling you as a Christian not to fear that atheist infidel that you work with that threatens to sue you every time you pray at dinner. You should not fear the American Civil Liberties Union when they threaten that you shouldn't pray in school. You shouldn't fear that person who threatens to shut down the church because of our beliefs about marriage and the sanctity of what it says. God's people have got to quit fearing people that have no control over our life. You say, well, my boss has got a lot of control over my life. He has no more control than God gives him. You say, Jake, what, what, a, what about... What about those people that I'm friends with? And what about my family members that don't believe the same way I do? You have to quit fearing people that God has allowed in your life. You see, God can remove anyone he wants out of your life at any time. He could remove me any time that he wants. He could remove you any time that he wants. And so if he hasn't removed you yet, there's a purpose. There's a plan. And he says, do not fear them. Why is that? Because I think it's easy to quote the verse in the scripture that says fear not. But when you get specific about what you shouldn't fear, that's where it gets real. Fear not speaking in public, right? Fear not stepping out in faith and sharing your faith. Fear not telling your children that they're headed the wrong direction, Fear not telling someone they're lost and on their way to hell. You see, the them, the it, that's what the issue becomes. And the hope that we have is, is Jesus tells them, fear not. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. And so we see this hope that we have. And so let's just continue on in this text. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not what? Fear who? Those. He is specific again. He is telling you to quit fearing the people in your life that are threatening you. And we looked last week at that Satan's greatest tactic is to cause fear in your life. We see it in a little bit, and I'm going to get political. You might not like it, but I don't care. I believe that if you want to take the vaccine, you should take it. I believe that if you don't want to take it, you shouldn't. But I believe that when your employer tells you that if you do not take this, you are fired, it is because they are causing fear in your life. And that's wrong. But God says don't fear them. God can give you another job. God can provide for you. I'm I'm not taking a stance either way. I'm probably going to have to get it if I want to go to the nursing homes. And I want to win people to Jesus on their deathbed. So it is what it is. And so if I grow a third arm, just make fun of me all you want. But anyway, um, I know I'm terrible. I'm sorry. But you can't fear. You can't fear people that persecute you for your religious beliefs. You can't fear people who persecute you for your decision to homeschool or public school or stay-at-home mom or work, the world tries to convince you that what you have done is wrong, that what you have done is a mistake. And friends, if you believe that God's Word doesn't condemn it or that God's Word hasn't specifically said to it, you have to be willing to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he says, don't fear those who what? Who have the power to kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are more value than many Sparrows. Now, this is usually where I would make a joke that some of you don't have as many numbered hairs as the other, but I'm in too big of a hurry tonight to do that. So, But God is trying to get specific here. He is trying to tell you, don't fear people who can just mess with your flesh. Don't fear people who can just harm this outer temple. But you should be concerned and respect and want to please the one who can either send you to heaven or to hell. See, it's what he says here. The soul is going to live somewhere forever. And the Bible teaches us that when you die, you don't cease to exist. You will spend your eternity in one of two places. Heaven, in the presence of God, in the the presence of the angels, in a place of no more sickness, pain, no death, no heartache, no tears, no sorrow. Or you will be separated from God in a place called hell for all of eternity. The Bible says the fire is never quenched. That Lord, there is never a time when there is no suffering and pain and, and all of these things. And you say, Jake, I just can't wrap my head around a place like that. Then don't. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's real whether you believe it or not. It's true whether you agree with it or not. But yet Jesus says, don't fear those that can harm your flesh. But fear the one who knows you, loves you, died for you, cares about you, has provided for you. God's done everything necessary to show you that he loves you. And that he wants a relationship with you. That's why we have hope. But look what it says here in verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men... Him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, Him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus just makes it abundantly clear that my faith is not just a private faith. My faith is not just a faith that I can keep secret. He literally taught us that it is not to be put under a a bushel. And a city on a hill, right? And so tonight I want you to know this, that you might think that your faith is only yours and other people ought to be able to have theirs. And I believe in religious liberty and I believe in the freedom to choose. But friends, never stop telling people about Jesus. Never stop telling people about what he's done in your life. And tonight I probably ought to start by saying it's about time that we don't stop talking about our faith, but it's time that we actually start because stopping implies that at some point you and I were doing it, right? I'm going to stop running for a day because my shins hurt. That implies that I have been running every day, that I have shin splits. I am just going to say, I'm not going to run today, just like I didn't run yesterday. And I'm not going to run the day before that. That's why. But this idea here is confessing that God says if you deny him, then he will deny you. Why is that? Well, I think that you see this in the early church. The greatest problem the early church had was when they would be arrested. And there would be people that would be put to death for their faith. There were other people that didn't die for their faith. They would recant and say, I'm not a Christian. I wasn't with the Lord. I, I, I wasn't in that church. Kind of like Peter did. But then after the threat was gone... Many of them realized they really were saved and tried to come back to the church. And the church didn't know what to do with them. I mean, what would you do if your mom died for her faith? And the lady that sat next to her in church lied that she wasn't a Christian and then wanted to come back to church. You say, oh, Jake, that's just not possible. The Bible says forgive. Forgive. Many of those same Christians didn't die the first time, but when persecution came back around again, they died for their faith. But you see, you have to understand something. All of us have missed an opportunity to share our faith. All of us have wavered under the pressure of needing to tell someone about Jesus. And so don't think because you didn't share the gospel this one time or you didn't stop and share the gospel with a homeless person or you didn't stop at Christmas when all your family was trying to talk about all this stuff and you didn't use it as an opportunity. See, I am, as a pastor, anytime there's a group of people, um, they like to ask, so what do you think? Is this the end times? Is this shot the 666? Is this, is that? And what I usually say is, my advice to you is get right with Jesus and just let him work it all out. And people are like, well, what do you think about the election? What I always tell you is get right with Jesus and let the Lord work it all out. And that is a really annoying thing when people really don't want to talk about Jesus, but they know that it makes me very angry, and I'll probably say something like, yeah, I'd go up there and thump every one of them on the top of the head. That's what they want me to say. And I've been guilty of saying it. And so don't think here that just because you haven't confessed this time here or that, but it is a public, bold proclamation that, yes, I belong to Jesus. Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. Jesus is the one who saved me from my sins. Jesus is the one who my hope and trust is built upon. And so we see there the hope for the follower of Jesus. Now I want to show you the focus of the follower of Jesus. Look what it starts in verse 34 and says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, this is not suggesting that you ought to take up a stick and beat your mother-in-law. Even though some of you have maybe thought about it, that's not what it's saying here, okay? There is not a time that you haven't thought about that, all right? That's not what he's talking about here. He's not even talking about that you should seek out division. You shouldn't go to your family reunion and say, I'm just going to launch this grenade right in the middle of everybody and see how it plays off. That's not what he's talking about, because if you're honest tonight, you probably got a family member like that, right? Doesn't matter what the conversation is, they know exactly what to say to stir the pot, and everybody leaves Thanksgiving mad, Right? Everybody leaves Christmas hating somebody else. That's not what he's talking about here. He is saying that your love for Jesus has to be the most important thing in your life. You have to love Jesus more than your wife. You have to love Jesus more than your husband. You have to love Jesus more than your children. You have to love Jesus more than your grandchildren. You have to love Jesus more than your neighbor. And you have to trust that I'm going to love him no matter what it costs. Because friends, there will be people in your very own household that will not want to talk about Jesus. There will be people in your very own family that will not want anything to do with you because of your love for Jesus. And what Jesus says here is, I have come that when you make that decision, when you live totally focused for me, that people have to make a choice. You see, the greatest problem I see in my walk with God is is this. There are many people that hate God, that hate Jesus, and I don't make them uncomfortable at all. Now, I know you wouldn't attest to that in your own life, but I can sit up in the restaurant, listen to them talk, listen to them go on, listen to all the junk that they say, and sit there and just keep my mouth shut. From time to time, someone will say, What do you think, preacher? I don't have any thoughts. And most of the time, that's really good advice. But there are times when I say, well, I I don't have an opinion. I'm going to keep eating my bacon and sausage, right? But yet I know that God would want me to say, well, it doesn't matter what your background is, or it doesn't matter what this is. It's about what God says and what the gospel says, that you must be born again. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of wanting peace many times when God wants someone to have to make a choice. You see, as a Christian, God wants to use you To spread the gospel. The people that come into contact with you should know that you love Jesus. They ought to know that you want them to know and love Jesus. And what it says here in verse 38 is not only what it should look like. It says here in verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it and i want to read you what this i want to read you what this one commentary says many times in this verse cross does not refer to evangelism instead jesus refers here to the death march that leads to crucifixion the point is that disciples must be prepared to die literally and figuratively As martyrs for Christ. You see friends I ask you that question tonight as Americans that we think it is just absurd. We think there is no way that someone is going to go door to door in this country. And ask you if you're a Christian. And drag you out of your home. And take your life. Friends it's the same thing that they thought couldn't happen in Nazi Germany. And friends if it was a hatred for a race of people. Could cause that much Death and destruction. How much death and destruction do you think that Satan could cause when it's directed at believers? You see, Satan knows that he can't take you from the palm of God's hand. Satan knows who is secure and can't be stolen. But what Satan can do is cause those around you to have such fear and such confusion and such doubt. And such heartache to choose to reject Jesus. And so we see that here. That he says he who finds his life will lose it. And the third and final part there here is this. The blessings that come to those who join the work. We've looked at the hope for the follower of Jesus. We've looked at the focus of what a follower of Jesus should be. But the blessings of those who join the work. Look what it says here in verse 40. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of water in the name of a disciple... Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now, many times we look in our Christian faith that, well, the preacher, he's going to get all the rewards in heaven because he was up there in front of everybody. And other people would say, well, that Christian in Africa who laid down his life, he's going to get the most rewards in heaven. Or someone else might say, well, they were such a good Christian their whole life, they're, they're going to get all the rewards in heaven. But yet Jesus tells us in a parable that whether you start working in the morning or whether you start working in the noontime, whether you start working in the evening, or whether you go to work at the very end of the day, which he is referring to being called into salvation, not working your way to heaven, that salvation is your reward. Friends, salvation is by grace through faith not of works. It's a gift that God gives you, and friends, heaven is going to be greater than we could ever compare. But I also believe the Bible teaches that after you were saved, you were created to do good works, and those works have rewards. I believe that we will lay those rewards at the feet of Jesus, because he is the one that does them. But what it says here is, even if you're the one that takes in the persecuted disciple... Even you're the one that joins in the work of spreading the gospel, standing with those that are being persecuted. There will be a heavenly reward. I think about it many times in the setting that we're talking about, about Christians praying for other Christians around the world, about Christians who go overseas and help those um, on mission trips that are In struggling countries where the government hates them and building goodwill. But I also think about it in the sense of not everyone is called to go. You might never be called to go to Africa, but God's given you a whole lot of money and you ought to be writing checks to send people to Africa. You say, Jake, I can't believe you just talked about money. Get over it. Some of you've got a lot of it. Time to use it for God's glory. Some of you say, Jake, I can't go and I don't have lots of money, but you can pray. You can be praying daily for those missionaries as they go, the trip that they're on. And this idea is, you say, well, Jake, they're going to get all the credit. They're going to get all the reward. They get to come back to church and sit up here and talk about their trip and talk about all that God did. And Oh, they're just so wonderful. But friends, I'm telling you, more work for the kingdom of God is done in prayer closets than on any trip. More work is done in the prayer closet than any sermon that is preached. And friends, I am telling you, you have to be okay with whether God has you giving the water or dying for your faith. You've got to be okay with sitting in the nursery holding that little baby while a single mom can sit out here in church and give her heart and life to Jesus. You've got to be okay with that. And what he says here in this context is, is you and I will be blessed. We will receive a prophet's reward A righteous man's reward by doing the kindness, by opening up to those who are being persecuted. I think if you could apply it also to this, I think that adoption and fostering is the one area that our church really lacks that we should do more in. The reason I think we should do more in is this, because I believe in those situations when a parent or a family is Going through whatever the situation is, it does not matter. It's not our place to judge. It's not our place to deal with. But those children need someone there to do what? Not necessarily to give them a cold drink of water, but to love them, to care for them, to be there in that time of need. And I really believe that in this text, Jesus is talking to those who are dying for their faith. But I believe it is applicable in every other area of our Christian walk. And most of us are comfortable doing what we have always done in the name of Jesus. And many times God has said, I've had you doing that for a long time to prepare you for what comes next. You see, Peter denied the Lord three times. But that's not how the story ends. Peter repented of his sins. And came back to Jesus. And God used him in a mighty and magnificent way. And so tonight whether you are like Saul. Who you have been running fervently after your religion. But you are realizing that you've missed the relationship. God can use you. Whether you're like the apostle Peter. And and you have turned your back on God. God's waiting to restore and use you. And so tonight the great question is. Do you really have hope that no matter what God calls you to do, he'll provide? Do you really have your focus on him or is it on the things of this world? And third, you have to believe that God blesses those who join in the work. I uh, had an old pastor friend and um, uh, Brother Carl used to tell me, he said, Jake, when things aren't going well at church, give more money to missions. I always said, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Things aren't going well. You ought to be more focused on where you're at. But there's something about joining God in what He's doing. Just being faithful to join what God is doing. I believe that's why churches who, (laughs) I, I just believe that churches are conduits. They should spend the money that God gives them. I don't believe you should be frivolous. I know I just talked about filling up the baptistry every week, and so I'm going crazy wild up here right now. But I believe it's our job to take the money that God gives us and to use it for his glory. I can't tell you how many times people will say, how many millionaires go to Ten Mile? And I'm like, well, I don't know, probably not a lot, but there's probably a few stuck out there in the crowd. Well, how in the world do you build wheelchair ramps for people? How in the world do you put a roof on people's house? I'm like, I know lumber is crazy expensive right now, but we're not talking like $700,000 for a porter potty. I'm talking, we're, you know, uh, it's a sacrifice, but I believe that every time we've given, every time we've given, God has honored it. I had never been in a church in my entire life that didn't, and I'm not knocking any other churches, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've never been in a church until I came here where you didn't see spaghetti suppers for missions, car washes for the youth group. got here and I never seen anything about it. I asked somebody one time, and I can't remember, it might have been, I can't remember if it was Larry or who, I said, how do, you, how do you support your mission trips? The church just gives and they go. What? It's this concept that if God sends you on a mission that God's people have what is necessary to provide for it. If you remember, if you were here when we built the gymnasium, we raised all the money before we built. And if you remember, I'll never forget walking out there in that lobby, and there's this great big white board, and uh, someone had taken pictures of all the kids. You remember that? And you'd go out there, and every, was it $1,000 or $10,000? Or Someone help me here, I'm having a senior moment. Well, you're all seniors too, apparently. But, and there would be a picture on each line, Right? And then that, that line would fill up, and there'd be another picture. And I think the title said, Building for the Next Generation, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't know if you know this or not, but if you'd have went out there in that building last week, you'd have seen most of those kids 10 years ago were little bitty kids on that picture. Them 16-year-old kids were 5- and 6-year-old kids in Glory Gang back then but yet they are reaping the harvest because God's people said, we're going to join in the work that God is doing. Think about all the people that have been saved right here in this building. And all of you who remember when you voted to build it, right? And gave sacrificially to pay for it. And you realize that this building would probably outlive pretty much all of us. But all the work that God has been able to accomplish through your willingness to join him in what it's doing. I'm not a big Ray Bolts fan, but he sang a song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. One of my favorite songs, and I heard it when they were singing it about Billy Graham. Can you imagine the millions of people as they stroll up to him in heaven and say, Thank you for doing what God asked you to do because the Spirit of God used your sermon to convict me of my sin. Think of all the children that that you will help through the Baptist Children's Home or the Sanctity of Human Life through Grace Haven by joining God in what he's doing. And I believe this with all my heart and I believed it before I sang in the choir tonight and just looking around in the choir tonight and looking out among this place, I really believe that God has not said, I've used you for 200 years, but I think I'm going to move on. I really do believe that God's greatest use of you, God's people, is what comes tomorrow. The question is, do you want to be a part of it? Are you willing to pay the cost to do what God has asked you to do, to be a part of the work that he is doing? And so tonight, that starts, though, with knowing him. And so tonight, if you're here and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. This stuff about sacrificing and giving and dying for your faith is probably a foreign concept. But tonight, if the Spirit of God is convicting you that you're lost, that you need a Savior, God will save you tonight. You say, Jake, I don't want to come in front of all these people. You come anyway. God is ready to save and to forgive you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, Jake, I've I've not been very faithful to the God. I've not loved him like I was supposed to. I've not been sold out. But tonight I'm ready. I'm ready. I know I'm saved and I'm ready to to just give him my heart and life totally tonight. Or maybe you're here tonight and you've been on cruise control. You know, I've been doing stuff at this church since 1902. I can kick back and relax. And God said, "Oh no, I'm ready to put you back in the nursery. Ho or I'm ready to send you on a mission trip." I don't know what the world record for the oldest person to go on a mission trip is, and we probably don't have anybody that would fit in that category, but I'd love to have that in the world's Guinness Book of Records. God might call you to do great, and God might be calling you tonight, sir, to pastor, to preach the word of God. God might be calling you, young lady, to Go to the mission field to to stay at home and be that Christian mom. Whatever it is, I have no idea. But if you think that God is done using you, you would be across the street. Just because it seems sometimes as exciting here as it does over there. It's not how God intended for it to be. If you were still breathing, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Pray with me tonight as you stand. Father, we thank you so very, very much for your church, for your word, and for your people. Lord, I ask forgiveness tonight if I've said anything or crossed any line that I should not have said, but Lord, I pray that you would take the preaching of your word tonight, Lord, and I pray for that person that's struggling here tonight, Lord, with whether or not they're saved, Lord, or if they're here tonight, and know that They're not, that tonight would be that night, Lord. This church will rejoice with them, Lord. We will celebrate with them, Lord, because the Bible says that all of the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner is saved. Father, I pray for that lukewarm believer, Lord, that's just been going through the motions, that tonight would be the night that they would say, I'm going to serve Jesus with everything I've got as long as he gives me. Maybe tonight, Lord, that person who knows that you're asking big things of them, struggling with fear, That you can convince them tonight, Lord, to fear not whatever or whoever it is for your glory. Lord, I pray tonight that you would take over. Lord, that you would do what only you can do and work in a mighty way. And I give you all the praise and the glory, and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking the Holy Spirit's been working that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.